Good morning, everybody. Alan here. Uh, happy Easter. Uh, probably not exactly what you thought you'd be doing. Uh, Easter morning 2020 when the clock turned over this year. Maybe some of you had travel plans organised for this time of year. I know a lot of people like to make the most of the long weekend, get away, catch up with family and friends. Unfortunately, we can't do that. Uh, but instead of labouring on what we can't do, let's be excited about what we can do. Can you imagine going through COVID-19, say, 30 years ago, where we didn't have the opportunity to pick up mobile phones or to jump on Skype or to jump on Zoom and to talk to people, or even from a church perspective, if we didn't have this technology, to still be able to try to get the message of Jesus Christ out there into uh, society, as uh, many, many churches are going to be doing this weekend. The internet is going to be flooded with messages about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's an exciting thing. You know, I believe there are a lot of Nicodemuses out there at the moment. Let me uh, just explain to you what I mean by that. We all know the story of Nicodemus. He was a religious leader that was interested in what Jesus had to say, was interested in who Jesus was and, and understanding a little bit more about Jesus and, and what his teachings were about. And so he came to Jesus at night time. You can read about it in the book of John, chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night time. And, of course, part of that conversation is where we get probably the most famous phrase uh, out of the entire Bible, and that is John 3.16, where Jesus ends up saying to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him, shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And you know what, I'm sure that there are probably a lot of Nicodemus type people out there this weekend jumping online. You've got a lot of spare time in your hands. You've exhausted all your usual websites. So maybe you're running your finger over YouTube or over Facebook or whatever, and you're checking out a little bit of this church stuff. You might not want to walk inside the buildings of a church. Uh, so maybe you'll bring the building of a church to your bedroom or to your lounge room and just have a little bit of a look. Hey, let me encourage those people this morning. I want to say this to you, that God loves you. God knows where you're at. Keep pursuing, keep looking, keep asking questions. Uh, there's a promise in the Bible. And, and God said this, he said, if you seek after me with all your heart, you're going to find me. So can I encourage you, if uh, you're a little Nicodemus out there this morning, hey, keep searching, keep looking, Keep seeking. And if you open your heart up to God, trust me, 19 years of age, no Christian background, no church background, no Bible in my house. But I opened up my heart to God and I made uh, a, a prayer and it, it was meant with 100% sincerity. I said, Lord, I think, wasn't even 100% sure, but I said, God, I know enough to know that I think that you are there. And if you are there, Lord, would you come and would you uh, change my life? Would you take this mess I've created of my world and would you make something beautiful out of it? And 19 years of age, that's what he did. I cannot tell you how he does it. I don't know the processes. All I know is this, that something happened in my life. And over a period of time, I've been transformed and changed. Uh, I, I love my life. It's not perfect. It's not pain-free. But I love the fact that every day I wake up with this sense of excitement and hope that God has put me here on planet Earth for a reason. There's a purpose. I was custom-made, custom-designed for a purpose. And that purpose has something to do with the times and the seasons that I live in right now. Every person is valuable and every life is a plan and there's a purpose behind that. So if that's you, let me encourage you with that this morning, Easter Friday. Uh, this weekend, you'll be seeing a lot of stuff about the historical figure and person of Jesus. And this is the most important celebration for those of us that call ourselves Christians. Uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, look, historically, most people won't argue that there was a baby born and that his name was Jesus. Most people won't argue with you that there was a guy that claimed to be uh, something special called Jesus who went about performing miracles and cures. You'll find a lot of information about that. You'll find stuff outside the context of the biblical record as well um, about the life of Jesus Christ, even the crucifixion and the death of Jesus Christ. 
But on Sunday, we're going to get to this thing called the resurrection. That's where the real power kicked in. But guess what? Today's not Sunday. Today is Friday. You know, when I became a Christian at 19, I remember somebody gave me a book. It was a book by a man called Tony Campola. And some of you Christians out there, you might uh, know this guy. You might have heard of his name. But I've given a little bit away already. But the name of the book was this. It was called It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. And basically, he got the title of the book from an experience that he had where he was in, the best way I could describe it would be a preach-off with another preacher. And uh, Tony got up at this conference and he preached. And he, he said that, you know, I nailed it. It was awesome. But as I sat down, this older seasoned preacher got up and tapped him on the, on the knee and said, now, now let me show you how to really preach. And he got up with this simple phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's come. He communicated so powerfully to the audience and the crowd that day. And he did it sort of this way. He said, you know, it's Friday and the disciples of Jesus are running. It's Friday, but Sunday's come. It's Friday and Mary is sad and Mary is down because her son is dying, hanging on the cross. It's Friday, but Sunday is coming. And then he just bounced off this phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And then eventually he got to the uh, end of the, the, uh, the message and, of course, the crowd erupted and everybody was excited and ecstatic. And I've never forgot the name of that book, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. So Sunday's coming, but right now, today, guess what? It's actually Friday. So I want to talk a little bit about Friday. And you know what I love about Friday when it comes to the Jesus story is this. I don't think there's any time period in the life, the recorded life of Jesus, where I get to experience and connect with the actual humanity of Jesus Christ more than I do in those hours that we have recorded, the Friday, the Thursday evening through to Friday when Jesus Christ was crucified. I feel like we get glimpses into the humanity of Jesus. Now, there's a passage in Hebrews, and I just want to read it to you very quickly. It says this, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 16, he says this, he says, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. What a great uh, picture that Jesus didn't come, his teaching, his miracles, his healings, his life and his death. He didn't come here to do something necessarily that would benefit God. But everything about the life, the teaching, the miracles, and even the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all of that was to help the descendants of Abraham, it was to help people, it was to help humanity. Jesus is here to help us. The Jesus story is about building up humanity, not about tearing us down, not about judging us. It's about building us up. Then in verse 17, he says, Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. I love that. It was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. You know, I see Jesus opening blinded eyes and I love that aspect of Jesus. I see him healing the sick and raising the dead. I see him cleansing lepers. And I get excited and pumped by that side of it. And I stand in awe of who Jesus was. And I stand in awe of what God uh, did through him and the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a part of me that can't really connect with that because I, I feel like, you know what, I just can't walk into a leper colony and heal everybody. That's not to say God doesn't heal lepers today. Of course he does. But it's not been my experience. Every blinded eye that I've prayed for, and I've seen people healed, I've seen miracle signs and wonders, but not everybody I've prayed for was healed, but yet I don't see many people that Jesus prayed for that weren't. You know, not everybody I speak to or share the good news about Jesus Christ to 
falls on their face, falls on their knees and says, what must I do to be saved and gives their life to Jesus? But it seemed that everywhere Jesus went, people hung off every word. That's not my experience. So most of what I see Jesus doing and teaching in his life, although I am in awe of it and amazed at it and would love to be there, the reality is I'm not there just yet. And I find a lot of it difficult to relate to. But that last period of his life, the day that we're remembering today, Good Friday, there's so much in the Jesus story that I can relate to. You know, Thursday evening, uh, Jesus is sitting down and he is having what we would call the Last Supper. He's having the Passover meal with his disciples in a room. And it's during that meal that Judas, one of his closest companions, one of the twelve, gets up and disappears out of the room. Jesus would have watched him walk out of that room and Jesus knew that Judas was going to get a mob of people that were going to come meet him in a garden as he was praying and they were going to take him off and he was going to be handed over eventually and go through the most excruciating of physical pains that you could imagine, Roman crucifixion. You know, after that meal, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus got up and he left that room and his disciples came with him and they went to this place called Gethsemane, this garden. And Jesus was walking and they stopped at a certain point and then he said to three of his closest companions, Peter, James and John, he said, you guys come with me, we're going to go a little further into the garden. And then as he's walking, he begins to open up his heart. And here's what he says, and Matthew records it so beautifully in Matthew 26, verse 37 and 38. He says this. He says, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Jesus began to be sorrowful, and he began to be deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Have you ever been sorrowful? Have you ever felt deeply distressed about life and the world around you and maybe things that are coming up? And maybe maybe you're in that state right now. Maybe you're deeply distressed about your job prospects. Maybe you're deeply distressed about the future of your family. Maybe you're exceedingly sorrowful for some things that you've lost. Maybe you've invested in the stock market and it's crashed and you've lost a lot of money. Maybe you've lost a career. Maybe you've been somewhere for years building, climbing, and all of a sudden that's been taken away from you. Maybe you can relate to that. It says here that Jesus, as he thought about what was coming up, that he was sorrowful and deeply distressed. You know, I can relate to that because I've been sorrowful myself at times and I've been deeply distressed and I see Jesus all of a sudden and this humanity come out and all of a sudden these connection points, they go, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. He says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And then he says to the disciples, would you stay here with me and would you just watch? Would you pray? I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pray. And would you guys pray for me? You know, I know I've gone through many things in life where I've reached out to friends and said, look, would you pray for me? I, I know I can't handle this in my own strength, in my own capacity. I need divine help to get through this moment. This is what Jesus is saying. I need help here. So I'm going to go over there and pray, but I want you to pray for me as well. This is, this, is not, this is not Jesus standing on top of a mountain healing everybody that comes to him. This is not Jesus preaching to the multitudes and thousands getting saved. This is not Jesus breaking bread and fish and feeding thousands. This is not Jesus standing on a boat, rocking in the ocean, saying to a storm, be still, be calm. This is not, all of a sudden I'm seeing a different side to Jesus. He's distressed and he's sorrowful. And he's worrying and he's thinking about what's coming up. He's committed to it. He's not going to turn away from it. He knows this is the way to go. But it doesn't mean that he didn't have feelings about what was coming up. It says there in the next verse, verse 39, he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, watch this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. 
It's amazing. You know, Jesus was in quite a few tight situations, but there's no other place where we get an insight into him actually sitting before the Lord and saying, you know what, God, what's about to happen? I agree with with what is needed, but I'm wondering, can we do it another way? This is the only time I know of where he agrees with God. Yes, I know that that we need uh, uh, this, this, this sacrifice. I know that we need someone to pay for the sins of humanity. But is there another way we can do it? Because what I'm about to go through is causing me great sorrow and distress. Is there another way? But at the end of the day, he says, look, but it's not about me. I'm committed to what you put me here to do, and I'll do it. But I love his openness and his honesty with God. Is there another way we can do that? You know, I can relate to that. I've had many occasions in my life where I've opened up to God and said, God, uh, is there some other way that we can go about this? This is painful. This hurts. I'm not really enjoying this. Where's all the fun and the lights and the glitter and the gold that I heard about when I came to faith? This was not in the brochure, if I can quote Billy Crystal in City Slickers. This was not in the brochure. But yet at the end of the day, we've committed ourselves to God and we submit ourselves to his will because God knows more than we do. But here's Jesus in his humanity just saying, you know what, I'll go along with the plan, but I'm asking you, is there some other way that we can do this? You know, I can relate to that part of Jesus. I can relate to that humanity because I've been there myself and probably so have you. And then he comes back after that exchange in the garden And what does he see? These guys that he asked to pray for him, what are they doing? They're falling asleep. I asked you to support me. I'm going through a difficult time here and I'm looking for your support. But you can't even say, wake and pray for an hour. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt the disappointment of knowing that the people you thought had your back didn't actually have your back? Yet here's Jesus. Three times it says he came back and three times they were asleep. One time I'd be frustrated. Two times I'd be deeply gutted. Three times, gee whiz, I would be struggling. And this is what Jesus put up with. This is what he went through in that moment. From there, Judas turns up and Jesus gets taken away by the mob. And we all know the rest of the story. And I don't want to go into too much detail about that. But there are lies and accusations that are thrown at him. They just kept throwing things at him until they found something that they thought would stick. They just kept on going. They mocked him. They made fun of him. Uh, The Roman soldiers, it says that they put a crown of thorns on his head, not like in the pictures with a tiny little drop of blood. These were big thorns. They put a purple robe on him and they were hitting him in the crown of thorns and those thorns would have been digging deeply into his head. And then they were mocking him. If you're really a prophet, tell us. Tell us who hit you. I can imagine not only a physical pain but, you know, the emotional pain, the psychological pain, the taunting and the mockery and what they did to Jesus. Yeah, I think Mel Gibson portrayed it so beautifully in the movie The Passion. Uh, some years back. I'm not necessarily saying go out and watch it, but I love the fact that he didn't hide any of the reality of what it was like to go through uh, the torture that Jesus Christ went through. He graphically detailed it, and it's much worse than what most of us can imagine in our own minds when we just read it one-dimensionally in the pages of a book, and he did a great job of bringing out the reality of that in the movie The Passion. His back was torn apart with a Roman whip. He experienced the rejection of those that were closest to him while turning and running. Can you imagine what that must have been like for him? He spent three years with them and and at the end of those three years in his hour of need, these people ran. I mean, I know we can sit here and say, yeah, but it was all the plan of God. Yeah, it was all in the bigger plan of God. But what we're seeing here is a man with emotion, a man that feels things. What we're seeing here is a man who's being open and honest with God about the difficulties of life. And you know what? I can so relate to the Jesus that I see on Friday. I hope you can too, and I'm sure that many of you can.
And then right at the very end, Matthew 27, 46. It says this about the ninth hour, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After experiencing all those emotions, the emotions that many, you, me, I'm pretty sure all of us can relate to, rejection, the disappointment, uh, uh, the, the taunting, uh, the mocking, the, the, the lies being told about you and standing there and not, not being able to or choosing not to defend himself because it was all ultimately a part of the plan of God. Then crying out to God and saying, Father, can we do this another way? It's interesting here when he cries out, uh, just before he breathes his last, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say Father. All of a sudden, he doesn't feel that close to God. Isn't it interesting? He didn't feel up until this point, Father, 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 now in this moment. It's my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And I'm sure every one of us can relate to that. We've all had those moments where we've gone through things in life and we have literally looked at what's happening in this natural world we thought the same thing. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me in this moment? And right before Jesus dies, he gets to experience something that's quite amazing. And that is he experiences what it feels like to be a human being on planet Earth, living alienated from God. You know, I remember what it was like before I came to faith in Jesus at 19 years of age. I was hopeless. I was literally hopeless. Everything I did was to try to fill a void inside of my life. The, the alcohol, the parties, the, the, the accolades, the, the, the attention, trying to get people to laugh, trying to be great at sport, all the things that I did. It was all about trying to fill this emptiness, this thing inside of my heart. Um, John Cougar Mellencamp had a song many years ago called There's a Void in My Heart I Can't Seem to Fill. And that was my story. There's this void in there. And I remember that feeling. And, and not knowing at the time what it was. But you know what that feeling was? It was that feeling of being alienated from God. It was that feeling of knowing that there's something more to this world than I can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. But I can't quite find what it is. And then I prayed this prayer and I said, Lord, if you're really there, would you change my life? Would you reveal yourself to me? And through a series of events, God, who hears the cries of our heart, reached down into my world and he did something beautiful and did something amazing. And he transformed me and he changed me. But I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus Christ, he even knows what it feels like. For those of you out there right now that are living alienated from God, he experienced your pain. He felt your pain. But you know what? He experienced alienation from God so that you could experience reconnection to God. That's why Jesus did what he did. You know, it's Friday at the moment. Sunday's going to come, but today it's Friday. You know, taking up the power of God on Sunday for the sake of resurrection, that's one thing, and that's amazing. But laying down the power of God on Friday for the sake of crucifixion, that's a whole new level. But that's actually what Jesus did for you and for me. 100% man, 100% God. But he laid down that 100% God. You see... On the journey towards the cross, a couple of situations happened. One was when the mob grabbed him. And Peter reached out with a sword and he started to defend Jesus. And Jesus made this statement. He said, you know what, if I wanted to, I could call on legions of angels. They would come and fight for me right now. And I wouldn't be in this situation. I could walk free from the mob just like that. 
In other words, I have the power and the authority right now to get out of this situation and alleviate all the pain. But I'm not going to use it. I'm going to lay it down. When he was brought before Pilate, one of the Roman governors, Roman officials, Pilate ended up getting a little frustrated with Jesus because Jesus wasn't playing the game. He wasn't answering his questions. And Pilate makes a statement to Jesus. He said to Jesus, do you not realise that I have the power to set you free? You see, the Jews couldn't crucify a man. Only the Romans could. And Pilate said to him, you know what? I have the power here to, to say you're free and the Jews can't do to you what they want to be done to you. Or I can say yes and I can have you nailed to a cross. Do you understand that? And Jesus looked at him and said, if you've got any authority over me, it's only because God the Father has allowed you to have it. Therefore, you don't have control. The mob don't have control. God the Father has control. And I'll submit to the will of God the Father. Jesus had all this power at his fingertips. He had access to all these uh, enormous divine attributes, these divine things that could have alleviated and taken away the pain that he was going to go through. But what a beautiful thought that he laid that down. He laid that down to go through a pain and a punishment so that you and I would not have to go through that pain and that punishment. He experienced alienation from God so that you and I could experience reconnection to God the Father, the God who so loved us that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, and that includes you and me, whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Hey, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. God bless you guys.